0: Give me
1: the Bible, life shall guide me in the
0: way. This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Knowledge is a
1: wonderful thing. But I'll be the very first to admit I'm limited. There are lots of things that Billy doesn't know. I'll be honest about it. So sometimes I, when I listen to young people and they talk about technology and they talk about uh, all the things that they do with, with the, uh, the technology today, I, I just feel a little intimidated because my knowledge is very limited. There are lots of things I do not know. Do you realize there are things God doesn't know? Someone says, no, that's impossible because I thought God knew everything. Well, the Bible says he does, but in spite of the the fact that it says that there are things that that God knows, that God knows everything, he knows when we do evil, he knows when we do good, God knows us, he sees us at all times, but the fact is there are just some things God does not know. Now that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's our theme, Things God Does Not Know. Please stay tuned as we discuss that very challenging thought. Now my name is Billy Lambert. I'm the regular speaker on Getting to Know Your Bible. And we're delighted to have all of you watching today, especially those of you who may be watching for the very first time. Thank you for tuning in to watch Getting to Know Your Bible. Now stay tuned as we talk about things God does not know. Now, we want to offer a free Bible course, and we're going to pause for just a moment that you'll learn more about the course and how you can receive the free Bible Correspondence Course. May God
0: bless you. Stay tuned. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll free 1 877 711 5214.
1: I'm going to be reading today from the 139th Psalm, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my downsitting my uprising, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and acquainted with all of my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, O Lord, but, but you understand it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. shall be light about me. Indeed their darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You know it seems very strange to suggest that there are some things God does not know. Especially in light of God's attributes. Then from the reading from Psalms 139, we learn that God is an omniscient God. That there isn't anything God does not know. He, he said that He knows our downsitting, my uprising, He understands our thoughts afar off. And, and then it seems strange to suggest there are some things that God doesn't know when we consider His omnipresent nature. He's ever present. If you ascend up into heaven, He's there. If you make your bed in Sheol, He's there. If you take the wings of the morning to go out into the midst of the sea, God is there. If you think you're going to hide in the darkness, well, that doesn't hide you from God either. You see, there's, God is a great God. And yet, God just doesn't know certain things. For example, God does not know a sin that He does not hate. The fact is, He hates all sin. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19 tell us about some things that God hates. Th- these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to Him. And, th- and He tells us about those seven sins, those seven abominable sins that God hates. But what is sin? Well, according to First John chapter 3 and verse 4, sin is a transgression of the law of God. It's... When we violate the law, and sin is also the omission of law, therefore to him that knows to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. In, in short, sin is rebellion against the law of God. And the wages of sin is death, eternal death, or separation from God. God is repulsed by rebellion, And rebellion is when we try to do something in a better way than which, in in the way that God has commanded us to do it. There there are many examples of that in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. But let me give you one from the Old Testament. From the 10th chapter of Leviticus, there's the story about Nadab and Abihu, priest of God, who were told offered strange fire on the altar. If you read from the New International Version, it refers to it as unauthorized fire, and indeed that's exactly what it was. They offered fire that God had authorized them to use on the altar. There was a specific fire that they were to use, but they decided they'd do it in a way better than God, and as a result of that, they lost their lives. God hates sin, but why does He hate sin so much? If there's a sin that He doesn't hate, why? It's because sin is contrary to the very nature of God. Our God is a holy God. God said, Be holy, for I am holy. And sin is unholiness. It's contrary to the very nature of God Himself, and it separates us from God. God cannot be in the presence of it. And then God hates sin because it enslaves humanity. And there are so many people that are enslaved today to sin. They're in the shackles of sin. Jesus said, those who commit sin are the slaves of sin in John chapter 8. But God hates sin because It is the only thing that will keep you from going to heaven one day. And the only thing that will keep you out of hell is the love of Almighty God. God hates sin because sin will scar your soul. David said, My sin is ever before me and maybe that's the way you feel about something that you did, maybe in the days of your youth, and it's still with you today. You see, those are memories, memories of things that we've done, and I suppose that if we were all honest, we would have to say all of us have some of those kinds of memories. That's what sin does to you. It scars you. You may have your sins forgiven, but there are those memories still there. And sin brings so much heartache to this world, The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 15 that the way of the transgressor is hard. Why would we want to choose a way that's called a hard way when we can have a better way? But that's why God hates it because it brings so much heartache and misery and turmoil and confusion into this world. Uh, A preacher went to speak at a prison one day and on the inside of the prison up above the door, well, those words from the Bible the way of the transgressor is hard. The pre- preacher said to the warden, Why don't you put that on the outside so that people on the outside will know the way of the transgressor is hard? He said, No, we don't want the people on the inside to re- for- forget that the way of crime and the way of sin, the way of the transgressor is a hard way. See, God hates sin. That's one thing God does not know. He does not know a sin that He doesn't despise, that He doesn't hate. But here's a second thing God doesn't know. He doesn't know a sinner that He doesn't love. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were, listen to Him now, yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. You see, God loved us when we weren't very lovable people. And I know that you know some people that that are difficult difficult for you to love. If you think that they are difficult for you to love, think how hard it is for God to love them. But in spite of their unlovable quality, God still loves all sinners, regardless of who they are. God hates our sin, God hates murder, but God still loves the murderer. God hates lying. He despises lying. Satan was the original liar. And there's so much lying done today, especially in the field of politics. And sometimes there are even preachers that are not as truthful with the Word of God as they ought to be. But God hates that. But God loves the liar. God hates uh, adultery. He hates uh, a fornication. God hates uh, a sodomy. But God loves the person that's guilty of that. God loves all sinners, but He hates their sin. And we can shake our fist in the face of God, and we may say, God, I hate you. I can't stand you, God. And I'm not going to bend my will to your will, God but let me assure you, you can shake your fist at God, but God says, I love you. God echoes that back to us, and God still loves us. My friend, the only thing that's going to keep you from being lost eternally is the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that, that, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so far we've noticed two things that God does not know. He does not know a sin that He does not hate. He does not know a sinner that He does not love. But a third thing that God does not know is a way to save man, except through and by and in Jesus Christ our Lord. Acts 4 and 12, Luke penned, Neither is there salvation and any other. For there is no other name among men whereby you must be saved, except the name of Jesus. You know, some people say, well, you have your Savior, and I have mine. No, there's only one Savior. First John 4, 14 says that God sent Jesus into the world. Why? So that Jesus might become the Savior of the world. And Jesus came that we might have salvation and go home to heaven one day. Let me read Romans 6, 23 one more time. For the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God doesn't know a better way to save men except for people to be in Jesus Christ. There's salvation in Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 10, Paul said, I endure all things for the sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He's the Savior of all mankind, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in His sight. He's not the Savior of a select group of people. He is the Savior of the whole world. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. As in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, began, chapter 2 begins by saying that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He he died to save people like Vladimir Putin. He, He died to save people like Saddam Hussein, like Hitler. He died to save all mankind, regardless of who they are, where they are, the color of their skin, their language the clothing they wear, their mode of transportation, the food they eat, that means nothing to God. God sees us as souls that need Jesus Christ, His blessed, blessed Son. And to be in Jesus Christ, we, are, we, 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 we have salvation. In Jesus Christ, we're not a condemned people. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are where? In Christ Jesus. No condemnation in Christ. Salvation is in Christ. But pray tell, how do I get into Christ? Let me read what the Bible says in Galatians, the third chapter, verses 26 and 27. For you are all the children of God by faith, Where? In Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized, I-N-T-O, into Christ, did put on Christ. How, where salvation found in Christ, what does the Bible say about getting into Christ? How do I get into Christ? Paul said we get into Christ, when we're baptized into Christ, that's where salvation is found in Christ. In John chapter ten and verse nine, Jesus said, I am the door. By me if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out, and shall find pasture. I enter that door, I get into Jesus Christ as a believer, with children of God by faith in Christ. And as many as are baptized into Christ did put on Christ. You see, in Mark sixteen sixteen, Christ said that those, number one, who believe, number two, are baptized, shall be saved, number three. That's not very difficult, isn't it? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. I've had people to say to me, Brother Lambert, it doesn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be condemned, no. And they think that because Jesus did not condemn people by not being baptized, that that means that baptism is not essential. Well, that's just a misunderstanding. Because you see in that passage, there are two conditions of salvation. Faith in Christ, being baptized into Christ. One condition of condemnation, and that's just to be an unbeliever. It would have been redundant for Jesus to, to have said, He that believeth not and is not baptized shall be condemned, because, in fact, Jesus taught in John the third chapter, we are condemned at the very point of our unbelief. Unbelief is all that's essential for a person to be lost eternally, to fail to be a believer in the Lord Jesus an obedient believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't know a better way to save us except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're baptized into Christ, we are baptized into the body of Christ. For well, by one spirit we're all baptized, uh, we're all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. And that one body, according to Paul in Ephesians 1, verses 22, 23, is the church. So the same thing that saves your soul will put you in the church, add you to the church. Actually, the Bible says the Lord adds to the church daily those that are being saved, Acts two forty-seven. Ephesians 5, 23 says, Christ is the Savior of the body. So He saves people, and they are His body. They're translated out of the kingdom of darkness, or they're delivered, rather, from the kingdom of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Colossians 1 and verse 13. So we go from being a slave of the devil to being a servant of Jesus Christ. How? By believing on Christ, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith, by being baptized into Christ. God just doesn't know another way to save the world except through Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. This is found in your Bible in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Without Jesus there is no going. Without Jesus, there's no, going, no no, knowing. Without Jesus, there's no living. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You need Jesus in your life. You need to come to the foot of the cross because that's where salvation is found. If you are, have never been as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a penitent believer in Jesus Christ, as a person willing to confess Jesus before the whole world, If you've never been baptized into Christ, and I know people like that, good, good people, but you've never submitted to water baptism for the remission of your sins, I'm not asking you to do it because I say so. What I say means absolutely nothing. I'm trying to tell you what God says. That means everything, doesn't it? And our Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. God just doesn't know another way. But let me tell you another thing God doesn't know. He doesn't know an excuse he's going to accept. We read about a lot of excuses in the 14th chapter of Luke's gospel. There was a man put a supper and he started inviting people. And the Bible says that they started giving excuses. Why One man says, well, I've married a wife, I can't come. Man said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, I can't come. Another man said, I bought a field, I can't come. I want you to think about it. Here's a man bought a five yoke of oxen. He's got to go see them. What man would buy five yoke of oxen without going and looking at those yoke of oxen first? It's just an excuse. And a man says, I've got, I bought a field of land. I've got to go see it. What man would buy a piece of land without going to see what he's getting before he purchases that land? And what young man that's just gotten married, a newly married couple, doesn't need a free meal? You see, all those were simply excuses. One preacher entitled this, The Realtor, the Farmer, and the hen Pecked Husband. Well, excuses. Someone said that excuse is nothing more than the skin of a reason stuffed for the lie. Imagine the Judgment Day. We're standing before God Almighty on the Judgment Day. And, and we're giving excuses. Men are trying to explain the reason they didn't give their lives to Christ. One says, well, Lord, I would have become a Christian, and I would have been one of your followers. I would have been a disciple of you, Lord. But I was just afraid. I was just afraid. Jesus would have to say to that person, I know what it is to be afraid. I, I, I had fear in my heart in the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the end of the cross there was fear. I know what it is to be afraid. Uh, Another might say the reason I never became a Christian is because there are hypocrites in the church. Now a hypocrite is a play actor. It's a person that pretends. And I'm not going to deny that there might not be people in the church that are like that. But why would you want to be hiding behind a pretender? To hide behind someone like that, you've got to be smaller than they are, and I'm like John Harris, a black evangelist in in Tennessee who said, if Noah could get along with a skunk in the ark, he thought he could live with a skunk in the church. You say, all of that is his excuse. But all of my preaching life, I've been having people tell me, well, I would, but so and so in the church, they don't live right. Another might tell, they'll have to say to the Lord on the judgment day, Lord, I would, but I'd just been all alone. I'd been the only person in my family that was a Christian. All the rest of my family don't even believe in Jesus. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. I'd been all alone. And Jesus would say to them, yeah, I know what it feels like to be all alone. I was all alone on the cross and I was forsaken by man and forsaken by God and I said Father why have you forsaken me? I know what it feels like to be all alone. Another might say well I was afraid I would be ridiculed. I didn't want people laughing at me because I was trying to live a good life. And Jesus would say to them yes I know what it is to be ridiculed. I was mocked, I was spat upon. I was slapped. I was beaten. The point I'm trying to make is God in heaven is not going to accept excuses for our failure to serve Him when we meet Him in the judgment. And bless your heart, we're going to. And it will not be long FOR WE MUST ALL APPEAR BEFORE THE JUDGMENT SEAT OF CHRIST, THAT EVERYONE MUST RECEIVE THE THINGS DONE IN HIS BODY, WHETHER IT BE GOOD OR WHETHER IT BE EVIL. 2 CORINTHIANS CHAPTER 5 AND VERSE 10. AND RIGHT NOW, I AM SPEAKING TO ETERNITY-BOUND SOULS. And we need not make excuses for our spiritual and moral failures in this life. When we stand before God, there's not a single solitary excuse we can make that's going to be acceptable. Because God does not know one He will accept. But let me mention one other thing God does not know. God does not know a better time for you to be saved than right now. You say, well, I I think I'm going to put it off a while, Brother Lambert. I've I've been watching your broadcast for a long, long time. I've been thinking about calling and I've been thinking about my baptism. I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. I've been thinking about living for Jesus. Oh, no, we're not talking about what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about what we should do. And God doesn't know a better time for you to do it than now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 says "Today's the day of salvation. Friends, life is so brief. It's like a vapor that appears for just a little time. And I'd urge you, while you have time, while you have opportunity, give your life to Christ. God loves you and He wants you to be saved, He wants you to be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. This is your day. And I want to urge you, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, do so. As a penitent believer in Christ, allow us to contact some servant of God who will baptize you into Christ. Someone says, you mean you'll do that? Absolutely we will. And in closing, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community, And right now, pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer.
0: Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible. P.O. Box 314 Summerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214 Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible